Just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation last week uh, about uh, 90 years of that slumberling, slum, slumbering, slumberling, whatever. Anyway, that, that was an episode about uh, clocks and other things. I hope you enjoyed the conversation uh, better than the episode itself. Um, and I just let you guys know, I hope you enjoy this conversation going forward than this episode itself. I'm tipping my hand um, a little bit. So, uh, yeah, um, here we go into Ring-A-Ding Girl. Uh, season five, episode 13, air date, December 27th, 1963. So the last Twilight Zone of 63, uh, we're going to boldly march in the 64 in which when the series will actually end. So day and date, I have some interesting stuff here. Actually, I, I, not for day, like not for the 27th, but I have two things before this. On the 25th on Christmas of 63, uh, Gene Keys, a 22-year-old, uh, conscientious objector. Oh my goodness. I said that word, right? I, I just, are there words, Terry, that you have that you just know that you're going to say them wrong? Are those words uh, uh, all the time? <laughs> Most of them. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe I cleared that. And then I just, uh, I'm going to follow my cues here in a minute. I'm sure. And a I'm volunteer. You, I wouldn't have been able to do it. <laughs> Dude, you don't even understand for like you got on Skype. I said it like five times out loud to be like, is that right? I don't know. Anyway, the other word I have a real hard time with, which is like dumb as I'll get out is uh, a nuclear. Like I just like, I have to, I have to change my mouth, like my jaw settings to say that word. Cause I want to do like a W thing and say nuclear. That's not right. It's not right. I, that is wild, dude. I honestly thought to myself, I was like, I wonder if it's nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> Because so, I, yeah. I mess it up all the time. It's, too. Like, it's usually when I'm not sober, but I have, like, to, I have <laughs> to visualize the, like the words nuclear, like nuclear together to make nuclear, you know, as opposed to nuclear anyway. So, all right. So this gentleman, he was an objector of a word. I'm not going to say again, cause I clear it the one time, uh, and a volunteer, uh, for the New York based uh, committee for nonviolent action responded to an, indu- um, uh, induction notice, uh, by becoming the first person to burn his draft card to protest the Vietnam War. Keyes, who had been ordered to report for induction on January 30th, stood outside the service offices in Champaign, Illinois, on Christmas Eve, and at midnight, set fire to his card in front of photographers and then lit a candle. Keyes wore a placard that proclaimed, to light this candle with a draft card, a prayer for peace on Earth. So 
we, we I mean, you and I both know that like Vietnam did not uh, go well. Our reasons for getting in and what we did are you know murky at best. Um, but he was the first person to bring his draft card, which became a big symbol of the '60s. That's crazy, man. I, I I'm glad that we have uh, the the name of this gentleman. And uh, we know the exact date that he did it because that is a powerful message. Yeah, and the, and you and I have both grown up uh, without the fear of a draft, right? So think about that. Like I, I, I mean, not to go too far on about this, but I, I know my I was talking to my mother uh, when she was growing up at this time. She was uh, out in California, and she talked about how like there was just a, like a couple years there where like all the young guys disappeared, you know, and it's like. That has to be like a bizarre moment of like, you know, people and they're just gone. And she would write to a couple guys overseas. And there was times where she never got letters back because you know what happened. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I know uh, my ex's dad, uh, he got drafted when he was like, he was on a road trip going all around the United States on his motorcycle. And just randomly one day he gets a call from his dad. He's like, yep, you got a letter, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not laughing because it's just, that is just, I, I can't fathom it. Like, um, Oh, I want to say like Stephen King talked about how, like, uh, it was just him and his buddies were kind of like all laughing and joking about it, but the, like at a barbecue and then someone's like, I got my letter and then everybody got real quiet type of thing, you know? So that may not be entirely true for it's based upon one of his stories. My, my brain's a lump of mashed potatoes, but that feels appropriate. Right. So, so that happened to somebody it had to have, right. Maybe. I would assume so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this one's for you. Uh, December 26, 63, the day before this episode aired, Lars Ulrich was born. Hey, there we go. Danish rock drummer. <laughs> <laughs> and tennis pro, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he, he was uh, he was groomed to be a tennis player by his father, but he didn't he didn't follow in his footsteps. He's like, listen, I don't want to hit a ball. I want to hit a, a series of of tubes and metal things. For what I understood, he almost didn't even make it in the Metallica because he couldn't get his shit together when he was playing in practices and that. <laughs> well, I ended up seeing like later, in like uh, before before the first, uh, was it Scott Ian of um, oh shit, Anthrax. Anthrax was born as well. Like so, but it was a little further in the week. So yeah, the, some some pretty important people for uh, people's love of metal um, were born around around this time. Hell yeah, man! Uh, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice call out there. Then, oh yeah, December thirty first, uh, Scott Ian. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so when Lars Lars Urg was born, he was like, "Oh, he, one day he's going to be a tennis pro and get pissed off when people steal his music online." That's they, and they're just rocking this baby this entire. They're like, "I don't know what online means." It's like, shh, we just it's going to happen. But Napster's the devil. Just remember, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Like it'd be great. It's just like, oh, he's sleeping. Now. He's just taking a Napster. Right. Like, like, been like, you don't even know what that means later, you know? Anyway. So, all right. Dumb joke. Uh, number one song, Dominique by the singing nun, uh, number one film different, uh, the sword in the stone from Disney. Uh, admission. I've never seen this movie. Um, I think I have, I don't recall much other than it's like their, their, uh, retelling of the Arthurian legend. Uh, I know there's an owl that's their art what, that, that is, you know, super wise, but, like it, it's, it is, there's that Disney house style and this is one of them. Uh, I'm sure it's available on Disney plus. I I'm sure I watched this as a kid. I do not recall much from it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, uh, sure if I've ever been exposed to it. Like I, I did watch quite a bit of Disney movies when I was a child 
But I, yeah, I don't ever remember seeing this, and uh, I, I don't know why because I love fantasy storylines, so I can't I be- see why I didn't watch. I it. believe when Arthur pulled the sword from the stone, he said "ring a ding." I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I, I I don't know if that's true or not, but that makes more sense there than this episode. Well, yeah, that would be like the most stoic thing he could say too, right? <laughs> Yeah, I now rule all of England. Ring a ding. Ring a ding. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Let's just get into uh, some cast and crew here. All right. So to lead off, uh, we got our director as Alan Crossland Jr. Uh, he's back. So, but this is his last uh, of the four uh, Twilight Zone episodes that he has done. Thank Christ. And, uh, I'm sorry. So he- Did I say it out loud. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say thank Christ out loud. I was thinking it. <laughs> But yeah, so we had just talked about him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just talked about him during uh, the seventh that's made up of Phantom. So if uh, you want to hear more about Mr. Crossland, uh, go back and check that episode out. Well, I mean, okay, so he did the parallel, which you and I both realized. It's like, aside from the last episode he's watched, it is like the most unaffecting episode of Twilight Zone. And then he did The Old Man in the Cave, which we agree was actually not bad. Like uh-huh. there's bits of that we liked. I, th- I think that some of the, the, the decisions at the end could have been more impactful had he thought about it, but at this effect, effective episode, the seventh is made up of phantoms. I don't put at the feet of, of him. Um, I put it at Serling's feet for the script, but I don't think Crosland really fought for the best story that could have been told there. I don't know him personally. It isn't like we had a beer and we talked about stuff, but a very milk toast director. Um, but I also wonder if he's also a guy who is um, at the mercy of, of the product given to him. But again, I'm pretty sure that if you, if you were a little bit more passionate, you would have fought for different decisions. Yeah. I, I wonder if he even had like any weight to push around. I mean, he did four episodes. So obviously they, they trusted him, but maybe he was just a yes man and they knew he could just pull off like the simple, like the simple shoots sometimes. Cause I, I felt like the parallel is man, that's that was, that was one we pulled the rip cord on too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famously so, but like, like you did not know that I was about to tell you, like, we're not going to talk about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I had a report for this one, but we're going to get into it. Um, yeah. But this is also another one that was, um, produced by uh, William frog frog. F R O U G. We talked about him last week that did the last episode. Again, I don't know where his hand was in terms of production and, but he was the producer. So he had final say in a lot of, a lot of ways. Right. I don't know if he felt that like, is it, is it good enough just to get something across the finish line or do you give a shit getting it there? And I don't know where to put this at because, um, this is not a, this is not a Sterling episode. He had like, not a lot of creative uh, influence and input with this. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm going to put equal blame amongst uh, Croslin, Frong, and who we're about to talk about that's writing this. I'm going to, I'm going to give them all equal blame. The 33 and a third percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a fair thing to do for this, uh, for this episode. Um, so yeah. So uh, our writer on this episode is Mr. Earl Hamner Jr. Hamner. War cry. Hamner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is one of eight episodes of the twilight zone that he has done. Um, uh, he, w- he also did, uh, the hunt Ugh. piano in the house, Ugh. uh, jazz bail. And then, uh, that he will have, was a witch. 
There you go. <laughs> that, that one's got to stay on your soundboard. I don't care. <laughs> Even if we change formats uh, as a podcast, I want that to still stick around. <laughs> Jezebel is still my favorite of the four that we've seen so far of his, just because it gets so ridiculous. Um, I, I, Terry, I know you've not seen a piano in the house. You should watch it for how mean it is. Like it is one of the meanest episodes of the Twilight Zone I think we've ever seen. For a guy, for Hamner being known as the guy that was like the career of the Waltons, being like this wholesome show, Piano in the House is just mean. It's like, like, did he get it all out there and was like, oh, we're gonna have a family. This is good night, John Boy, to everybody. Well, I I, uh, I'll tell you what. I will watch. I will watch the. The other two episodes I have not seen, The Hunt and uh, Piano in the House. Well, you've heard uh, because- a very important part of The Hunt earlier. I played that for you about uh, Granny talking about a bird <laughs> maybe shitting on somebody's bed. <laughs> I, I love that that one, too. You got to keep that on the soundboard as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, side note, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, my selective editing at the end of the last episode. Terry did not know that was coming. Uh, please, if you if you did not stay until the very end of that, there's a good stinger at the end of that episode. <laughs> I I could not, dude. I couldn't. I just I had to turn my mic off. Otherwise, I was going to sound like like somebody was tickling me to death because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it's real good. So go back to the uh, to our last episode yeah. and uh, listen to the stinger at the end. Um, but yeah, so uh, Mr. Hamner is going to come back for four more episodes. So. By that point, I will have those two episodes under my belt. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Four more episodes. And he, he also writes the last episode of the series. So the bewitching pool, which, you know, we are still like 20 episodes plus out, but it's just, I don't know about you, but just like knowing that he writes the last one, you're just like, ah, are they going to stick the landing? Are they? I don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah. We'll find out soon enough. We're yeah. kind of plowing through, uh, these days. We've got, we've gotten out a lot of episodes under our belt. So, uh, so yeah, now in the cast we go, uh, Maggie, uh, McNamara, mm-hmm. McNamara, uh, she plays, uh, Barbara Bunny Blake. So she goes by Bunny majority of the time in this episode. Um, uh, one other episode, or I'm sorry, uh, she did one episode of, uh, the Hitchcock, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock hour. And that's pretty much the only thing I recognize from her catalog. So, okay. So interesting thing about her, and I didn't dig super deep in her. This is her only twice on episode, as you mentioned, um, she was in a film in 53 called the moon is blue. That was really controversial as time when it came out. Um, it was a comedy and P- I guess there's a lot of people who didn't understand. There was like, like a satire running through it. So people were like outraged, which I'm going to guess that like those that are more conservative, don't want to dig deeper. So they're like, you know, ankles are being shown or whatever. (laughs) Um, It was Oscar nominated. So she was in an Oscar nominated film. That's kind of where, like, that's where her fame was. She stopped acting in 64. So like the next year Uh, after this, this was like her like second or third to last, like, um, like credits, which is surprising because like, Say, we're going to talk a lot about this episode. There's going to be negatives. She does have kind of like a zippy energy about her. Like I like, I'm not happy with her character. I'm not happy with this episode. I'm not upset with Magni McNamara as an actress. I think that she has a little bit of charm to her, and I can see why she was like cast. Um, but so from that point forward, she worked as temp jobs as a typist. She died in '78 at 49 at suicide by overdose. Oh, so. Geez. 
uh, and there, the note she left there like everyone's like talking about how she had like a history of mental illness, but yeah, she kind of faded quickly after this and then was gone like relatively early. And it's, it's, it's really sad. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not making a joke here about this. That's sad. You, you all know me. I always punch down and kick horses that are dead. I'm not going to, this sucks. And I think that there's times where you can see why she was put in the lead of this episode. Yeah. It's a real drag, man. I take, because I actually I liked her in this episode. I thought she was a uh, you know she was fun. I I want to I wanted to see her as some more uh, material, but uh, you know it was a very short career. Well, so I'm going to throw this out to you right now before we get into the episode proper. I know we're talking about cast and crew. Do you feel like maybe this is one that could have been benefited from being an hour long with a little bit more meat on its bones? I think so. Yeah, I think that they 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 kind of shoved a lot into this episode as quickly as they. Uh, you know, to for I guess to save for the format and everything, but yeah, this is something that probably would have worked out well for season four. Yeah, I think this would have been better. And I think, like, I mean, you know, here's me giving a positive to Hamner, like, give a little bit more room to breathe, you know. But this one was really condensed, and so, and I think, I think because it was condensed, that robbed her character of like, I don't know, effectiveness. I don't want to use the word agency. That's not right because I'm I'm not using that properly, but. Like I, I liked her as a character and I get like her whole, like, you know, like leaving town and stuff. We'll talk about it in a second. It's just Magni McNamara was robbed of, of a key lead performance in the twilight zone and was failed by a compressed script. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah. I think, I think you're right on that one, man. So, uh, uh, moving along, we got Mary Monday. Would you can, would you pronounce it as Monday? Monday. Monday. Is it Monday? Just case of the Mondays. All right, so uh, yeah, so Mary Monday, um, she plays Hildy uh, Powell. Um, I didn't recognize anything she had done, so yeah, I hate, I hate that I couldn't put on. Uh, well, okay, before, here you I go. Here, I got, anything. I got two for you. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I got three things for you. One, uh, the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse, which is important because again we mentioned previously that the uh, Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse is where Time Element premiered, which was the 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 backdoor pilot for the Twilight Zone. That's important. Uh, she was in 1978's Magic with Burgess Meredith and Anthony Hopkins, which is a ventriloquist dummy movie that I have not seen. I'm going to challenge you that when we get to the halfway point of the season, I think we need to do a detour and watch that. Yeah. It's a drama horror film. Um, all right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah this, let's watch magic. This looks I, interesting. I think we, I think I like my wife owns this movie and I, I think I've seen the cover art multiple times. I've just never seen it. So I, but Burgess Meredith, we know from the twilight zone, like, why not? Right. So let's, let's just do that. We're going to, we're going to call our shot. When we get to the midway point, we're going to watch magic. Uh, and then also one of her last appearances was, uh, the Bill Cosby film ghost dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I uh, moving along. <laughs> what? You didn't like ghost dad. I don't like Bill Cosby. <laughs> well, but like now or just like forever. Well, I mean, I don't like him anymore i guess <laughs> but did you like him when you saw him in ghost dad and uh you know that break breakthrough performance of him being a ghost dad uh, I, I guess i suppose <laughs> <laughs> well, i haven't seen that movie in ages dude i don't even know how bad or good it is at this point fair so. enough all right so yeah i just wanted to point out ghost dad i wrote all in caps but we can move on it's fine okay so uh next we have uh david uh macklin 
Um, he plays Bud Powell. Uh, he was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye mm-hmm. and an episode of the Munsters. So I have a couple things here from him. That's just like, one is his weird internet trivia, but also like, so from 1980 to 2008, he didn't have any work. Like he didn't work as an actor, right? He ends up being like a homeless guy in a TV series in like 2008. I don't know where that decision was. Like, did he just like want to like, like buy like, um, like, like a boat or something. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't, like a small boat, like not a really expensive boat, but like a tiny boat. Be like, yeah, I'll be a homeless guy. It's fine. Or like maybe he had like an electric bill that was a little too high. He's like, I'll be a homeless guy. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Hawaiian eye. He was in an episode of the Munsters. Uh, I also like when IMDB his, uh, or is a Wikipedia. I can't remember, but there's some, you could tell, I don't know if it was him or like one of Sam members. They updated his, uh, trivia was a collector of holograms, ancient Egyptian artifacts and Sherlock Holmes related memorabilia. His hobbies were tennis, golf, bowling, pool, pinball, and slot machines. So he was a guy that did things and liked holograms and Sherlock Holmes. This sounds like this was also used for his dating profile. (laughs) (laughs) Like farmers only or something like that. Farmers like only. <laughs> oh no. Like, like, you may know me for like such me. things as this town that you'll fly over. Uh, but I'll, I'll here, I'm going to tease this though, Terry, you're going to appreciate this. David Macklin has the greatest stories from this episode. We're going to talk about this at the end. He's very blunt about his experience of the twilight zone uh, for better and for worse. So I have a, I have a great uh, story of him and his interactions with, uh, the people behind the scenes and the actors. It's really fun. All right, cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, next on our list here, we got George Mitchell. Uh, he plays Dr. Floyd, three other twilight zone appearances, the hitchhiker execution. And he was also in Jezebel. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure he said the cat was a witch. Pretty sure that's the guy that said, I think that, I think that's his line. Yeah. And then he had also done a three ten Yuma, and a little bit of uh, the, the series Dark Shadows. Yeah. So the two things I have for him, additionally, aside from that cat was a witch, which I played that earlier, so I don't need to play that again. Everybody remembers the cat was a witch. Uh, he was in the Andromeda Strain, which is a pretty faithful um, Michael Crichton interpretation. It's a little slow, but it's an effective movie. Um, he was in a Jack Nicholson written, I believe, directed Western from the 70s called Ride in the Whirlwind. Um, that is one of the most boring pieces of shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> there's some debate with people that we know that it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Cause it's kind of like, it's a revisionist Western where it kind of takes the piss out of what you know as Westerns to be. I was bored the entire time. And when I saw ride the world one show up, I was like, Oh God damn it. Like, don't make me dislike this episode any more than I already am. Yeah, I wish I could speak to that. I'd never seen that Western. Never. So. Don't do it. Never Don't do, do it. it. Nope. Nope. Here's my I recommendation. Take- watch Ring It In Girl for us talking about it. Never watch Ride in the Whirlwind. Because <laughs> can I also throw out to you that Ride in the Whirlwind's a great title for a Western? But it's like, has there ever here, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss this to you too. Uh, real quick, I'll put you on the spot. Uh has there ever been a horror film that you were super excited for the title of, but then the movie was kind of garbage? Oh, geez. Uh, that's, I, I would say, yeah, but I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to place what movie at, at the top of my, off the top of my head right yeah, now. Every time you, this cannot live up to what this movie's going to be. Right. So fair enough. 
Yeah, I, I because there's yeah I've seen so many films at this point, and you can't judge a book by its cover in that kind of sense. Like Zoltan the Hound of Dracula has to be an amazing film, right? And it is not. <laughs> it sounds badass, but yeah, I guess you said it sucks hard. Yeah, and, and like it's terrible and it's fun and terrible, but no, it's like it's the Hound of Dracula. It has to be cool, right? It's not cool. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll yeah. steer clear of that one as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, next we have uh, Bing uh, Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Ben Brayden. Yeah, Braden. he's the TV host, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one other Twilight Zone appearance is uh, the Arrival. Yeah, from season two. Right. I believe she's in season two or three. I can't remember right now. I think it's, yeah, I think it's season three actually. Uh, I don't know if you did a lot of digging in with him because I, we've, I, I'm sure we got into this earlier when we talked about the arrival, but he's Kurt Russell's dad. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why he was in tango and cash. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, no, but Bing Russell had his own like established movie career. He was actually in uh, the Magnif seven. He showed up other places. What I want to tell you guys to watch. There's a documentary that's on Netflix called the battered bastards of baseball. It's about him being an owner of an independent baseball team. That was like a triple a team called the Portland Mavericks and how he was pissed at like major league baseball with like their minor league systems. And he's like, screw you. I'm going to do my own thing. And like, it is the rise and fall of this team that was like functioning, making money, drawing people, but major league baseball didn't like him because he was doing things his own way and how they would keep working against him as a minor league team to like, kind of like cut him off at the knees but it's a wonderful documentary. Kurt Russell's in it talking all about his dad and like all the exposure that like Kurt had as a kid. Like it's, you feel for Bing, right? Like it is, it's a great documentary and you can't help but love Bing Russell. Well, that sounds fascinating. I, yeah. I've never, I've never really, uh, have dove into any of his other stuff. I mean, I've seen Dick Tracy and I've seen uh, Tango and Cash, um, but I I never seen any of the other credits that he had had. Yeah, but if you but, like uh, if you like underdog stories and like ridiculousness, you should check out the Batter Bas- Bastards of Baseball. Okay, yeah, definitely, I'll definitely yeah. check that out. You're gonna have to text me that one though. Um, <laughs> the other uh, the other credit I had for him is he did 58 episodes of Bonanza, so yeah. I had to make sure I put that out there because. Uh, that's a pretty well-established role. Well, yeah, and he also did a lot of, like, he did a lot of, like, ancillary roles and a lot of, like, Kurt Russell stuff, like the sneaker, was it the computer that wore sneakers or whatever? Like, he did a lot of, like, he was in a lot of Kurt Russell's early Disney work, too. Like, the, but Bing, Bing had a lot of work, you know? So, when I saw he pop back up with this again, I wanted to just mention, like, guy was a working man. Clearly, he inspired his son to continue, you know continue on, right? And we, you and I, both love Kurt Russell, so we got to we got to respect it when it shows up. Oh yeah, man! Kurt Russell is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome, man. I I had no idea, but uh, yeah. So next we got Betty Lou uh, Gerson. Yeah, is it Gerson? Uh, she plays Cece in this. Uh, she was in The Fly, and uh, she did a lot of voice work, including um, she was a. Uh, in- did some voices in Cinderella and 101 Dalmatians. Not she just, was the voice. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, please. She was a voice of Coella DeVille. Yes. Iconic. Right. You mentioned right. the fly. She made her bones doing a lot of uh, soap opera work on radio. 
was how she got like her start and she was very effective there, which a lot of actors this time would do that. And I, I know she's on this episode long, but I, I think she's my favorite, like my favorite trivia because it's like, she didn't do a lot of like camera work, but come on, she has influenced so much. Yeah. That's yeah. And I, I love that she, uh, she worked in Cinderella. Cinderella is my, all fine, all time uh, favorite Disney animated film. What, not so. the Sword in the Stone? I get it. That's fine. <laughs> hey, man, I I felt like Cinderella <laughs> when I was a kid. I, I attached myself to the character. <laughs> um, I was always waiting for my fairy godmother. Um, so next, <laughs> next we have. Uh, believe in yourself, Terry. A pumpkin coach is going to show up tonight for, for I, you. I wish yeah. uh, that'd be sweet. <laughs> um, so we have uh, Vic. Uh, Perrin, I think it's Perrin. Perrin, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, he plays Jim the Trooper. Um, he was one other one in one other episode of Twilight Zone. Uh, people are alike all over. Yeah, that's from season two. He like so here's uh, uh he did a lot of cartoon work because his voice is very iconic. But here's the thing that's going to blow your mind, Terry. He's the voice of control at the beginning of the Outer Limits. Yeah, I heard or I saw that in his uh, his credits. I thought yeah. that was badass. It's cool, right? Yeah, like he's we'll kind of he's kind of like the Serling, but not the Serling, right? So that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, he did a ton of voice work. Like he, he did uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, Spider Man, Scooby Doo, uh, to just mention a few. But yeah, dude, this may this guy was making paychecks all over the place, right? All right, so uh, yeah, next we have uh, Hank uh, Patterson. Uh, he plays Mr. Gentry, uh, two other Twilight Zone appearances, uh, kick the can, and then one more that we'll uh, we'll see uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, his big thing was his biggest role was he was a recurring character on Green Acres and Petticoat Junction, where he was actually like there was one of the the the, the times where like the studios like sorry the, the the networks would actually have like crossover stuff going on. He was in a lot of both those episodes, both those series, and I guess because. Uh, Petticoat Junction wasn't Green Acres. I've never seen either, so I can't speak to that. But that was that's where his biggest uh, claim to fame is. Yeah, eighty four episodes, man. I used to watch Green Acres actually back in the day. Um, but this guy is just—he is rough, man. <laughs> like, he oh, is just yeah. like even in this episode, he just seems like a kind of an ass. I don't know. Uh, it, so. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I think he was supposed to play that kind of character in Green Acres. I can't remember for sure, but. Yeah, he so got that, attacked that, by a thresher. That's what I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's actually all the credits I have here. I don't know if you had somebody else. I just have Bill Hickman as the pilot. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. He was in um, the 71's The French Connection, which here's an admission. I've not seen that. I need to because I've heard the car chase and that's amazing. Like I just, It's one of my, uh, my shame list. Uh, he did all a lot of work as well, but I'd just be worthy of mentioning The French Connection. Cool. Yeah. Um, haven't seen it either. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we're both on that uh, shameless. Yep. All right. So that's it. That's it for our cast and crew. Um, do you want to recall, do you want to rename this episode ring a bing girl because of Bing uh, Bing Russell? I think that'd be better. That'd make more sense to me than ring a ding. Uh, maybe not. But what, what about, no, what about a bing a bing guy? That's not right either. So let's get into uh Serling talking about this, uh, this episode about a uh, <clears throat> ring a ding girl. Introduction to Bunny Blake, occupation film actress. Residence Hollywood, California, or anywhere in the world the cameras happen to be grinding. Bunny Blake is a public figure. What she wears, eats, thinks, says is news. 
But underneath the glamour, the makeup, the publicity, the build-up, the costuming, is a flesh-and-blood person, a beautiful girl, about to take a long and bizarre journey into the Twilight Zone. Rod, is it really long? I just, I just want to throw that out there. Like, that sounds like a pun. But is this really bizarre? I don't know, man. I have... I have a lot of uh, questions and some. Uh, I'm, I have some gripes about this episode. So, where we, Terry? Please, I know you're always much more forgiving than me. Um, to start us off, please. I, I'm 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 flattered that you think that I'm a lot more forgiving. <laughs> some people would like to disagree with you, especially my wife. So <laughs> she thinks I'm a rotten person. <laughs> but she's like to having to hold to be terrible toward the Twilight Zone. I do, you know, whatever. <laughs> so yeah, so we open up to uh, Bunny getting ready. Uh, she's she's about to go on a, a trip to Rome um, so she can work on a film, and she's you know getting some some stuff uh, packed up in that. And apparently she has a crap load of jewelry. Um, her friend Cece comes in and you know is trying to rush her along to get her ready, but she also has a package for her. Well, but, so like, I mean, I'm going to stop right there. I apologize. But like, so Cece, I think she's like, she's like kind of her manager type of person. You get the vibe that at least she's like her, like, like the manager's her schedule. Right. So, but then she tells Bunny, she's like, oh, what? Like all this. She's like, well, the ring-a-ding girl has to have all the rings. Terry, what's a ring-a-ding girl? I'm going to ask that right now. What the hell is a ring-a-ding girl? All right. So ring-a-ding, I had to look up the meaning because I've never heard anybody say ring-a-ding. Um, and it's just, it's supposed to be like exciting or something that is to have excited somebody to say ring a ding, like, Oh, that's sweet or whatever, or badass. Like I, <laughs> I, mean, I could see like Sinatra saying ring a ding, you know, but it's like, I just didn't understand if it was like her branding as an actress. It's just, cause at one point she refers to like a ring a ding fish. I'm like, where, like, what is everything ring a ding? If you just want it to be, I guess if you believe in your heart, anything could be ring a ding. I, th- I felt like this was like some weird product placement. If you say, <laughs> if you say you. a certain statement so many times and it's supposed to become subliminal, right? Brought to you by ring-a-ding cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Filterless and fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if you feel yeah, ringing so in your chest, you've done it right. <laughs> That's sad. Um, <laughs> Continue, please. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Cece's trying to hurry her along, but has this package for her. And when she opens a package, it is another ring. Apparently, what she needs is more jewelry. And uh, but this one looks a little different. It's a uh, kind of kind of big, a little bit costumey looking, uh, but kind of has like an orb to it, um, like a dark orb. And um, I guess Cece leaves the scene maybe to go get some other things in order. And well, no, Cause she says she grabs the, the case. She's like, I gotta get this ice downstairs. I'm like, Oh, oh that's she it, sounds yeah. like a thief. She knows what's up. All these rings, you know, she's calling all this jewelry ice. Like I respect that. She's stealing shit. Well, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe she shouldn't be the one that's handling everything, you know, <laughs> calling it ice. Um, but, uh, yeah. So as uh bunny looks into the ring, uh, she sees the, she sees a face of uh, her sister and the the sister is telling her to come home, that they need her and that she should come home. And then the image fades away from the ring. Terry, finish this episode. Terry, this is Paul. Finish this episode. 
finish the episode. I just suddenly feel faint. I don't know what. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what, what happened? I don't even know. I'm sorry. I was here listening. You stopped talking for a second. It was weird. Yeah, that's, I weird flashes. <laughs> I don't know. Strange. I could suddenly see your face too. Yeah. Um, was, yeah. You're like, oh man, he could probably, you know, he could probably use some time in the gym. It's like because like my face didn't fit entirely in the ring. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> so at this point, we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at this point we uh we get to Serling's intro which we have heard um and uh we open back up into uh it's a different house it's Hildy's house this is uh hers and her her son's place and um like Hildy's her sister like that, I think that's right. what we figure out right so yeah through, through like the little bit of conversation we'll get here in a minute but yeah so she, we get to her cleaning up the place and she's trying to tell Bud to get his ass in gear too he's got to mow the lawn and everything and I like, I like his uh, his little statement that he says to his mom. He's like, "Isn't there, uh, isn't there something about uh, child labor in this state?" <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. I like that she's like, "We gotta get ready for this picnic. I'm gonna vacuum, and you gotta find the picnic basket. Also, clean your room and mow the lawn." I'm like, "How many hours away is this picnic?" Like, I just like, I understand that maybe there might be a postage stamp of a, like a lawn, but it's like, you've given him a lot of things to do and you're freaking out about a picnic basket. Like how fast are you gonna make the sandwiches? Well, you know, and it's like all this cleaning that she's doing in the house and mowing the lawn and that they're going to a picnic, not having a picnic there. That's fair. So. You're right. No, if, I, <laughs> if I'm not entertaining, I don't care. Like we, I could have dust bunnies that I could create a version of myself to talk to that no one will ever see. If I'm one outside, no one needs to see my house, you know? Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, it doesn't stop her from ordering, uh, <laughs> uh ordering bud to get off his ass. <laughs> so, I also um, like that. He's like, can I just read the baseball scores? I'm like, that's quaint. That paper's going to be around forever. Like <laughs> technology. Yeah. The scores aren't going to change now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got my fantasy league. That is not a thing right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's something that he was uh he was going to be investing into. He was going to create one. Um but yeah, so as uh Hildy is vacuuming uh the living room, all of a sudden the power is cut to the vacuum and she turns around and Bunny is standing there and she had unplugged the uh the vacuum cleaner to surprise her. Well, how loud was that vacuum at the start? It, you know how like vacuum cleaners make that whole like no, this thing sounded like it, it was like being just like beat against like a wall when it started. And I, um, I didn't catch that noise, but like, I was like, this vacuum cleaner sounded terrible. And then I wrote, I was like, I was like, it, it needed, it wanted out. Cause it knew how bad this episode was going to suck. So it was like, I'm out now. Can we just please? Like I was that? instantly thinking about the audio book that I had just done of Dolores Claiborne, <laughs> where <laughs> where they're please, describing explain, the sound of the vacuum. Explain that a little bit. Explain minute. some context, please. I think that's more entertaining this episode. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 there's a scene where, uh, like, she's vacuuming and she's describing the vacuuming to this this police officer during a the interview, and she makes the whole like, you know, how a vacuum goes. Rrr, two different noises i'm like zoom whoop zoom yeah yeah stuff like that it's like whatever let's get on with the story here old lady but yeah i was i was uh thinking of that the entire time i like that you were now been surrounded by vacuum noises for like a week and a half yeah right descriptions of vacuum noises (laughs) um 
but yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, obviously Hildy is excited to see Bunny. Uh, she said it's been like five years since she had seen her in town and, uh, you know, asks her how long she's going to be in there. And, uh, apparently, um, Hildy or apparently, uh, Bunny is only stopping for, you know, for the evening, I guess, so she can get to that, uh, filming. Well, it's, it's also, it's also worth noting that whenever the ring was delivered to bunny, it was from the hometown and then she saw the face and then when the, the face was her sister. And then when she showed up, she, she's like, uh, Hildy's like, Oh, you got the ring. And she's like, yeah, I love it. And she's like, I picked it out myself. Everybody around town, I collected money and I bought it. It's like, at that point, I understand that like bunny is a little weirded out by seeing a face in the ring. But don't you think she'd have been like, oh, by the way, um, this ring, um, it FaceTimed me your face. Like, can you please explain that? That's why I'm home. Like, there's never a direct conversation about ever this entire this entire script of what she's seeing. Like, there's never that moment of her like talking to somebody about like, I'm seeing a face in this thing, you know, which, you know, like, let's be honest before we get into the furthest episode. Decent enough hook, right? For like a cursed or magic object. Decent enough. Yeah, I think it felt like Twilight Zone when I when I saw this is how the story was going to play out. Yeah. So, but like, I yeah, I I agree with you. It's just kind of goofy that she hasn't asked any questions about like where the ring came from or you know other qualifying questions like what the hell is the deal with the ring? Yeah, like, like, did you buy it from a gypsy? What's, what's going on? But like, she's like, Oh, she's like, oh, I bought it. And then I turned around the store, turned into a vortex. I never saw it again. Like what? No. Um, no, it was just one of those things. Like, it's like, she's like, Hilly, is everything all right? Which is, let's fine to ask. Like, is everything okay? I'm home. But it's just like, Oh yeah, I bought this ring. It has data plan. There's apps on it. Like what? Like that's, what, <laughs> that's what it felt like. It's like, it, Oh, I butt dialed the ring by accident. I'm sorry. I'm glad you're home though. I just wish that, like, at some point that there was, like, some kind of connective tissue, like, of the, you know, like, oh, it was bought at the same store that the dude from season four got his uh, magic lamp, you know, like, something like that. or, you know, anything. You're right. Like, that would have been, like, some, you're right, a through line. I know I'm making jokes about, like, current technology versus this ring. I get it. But there, there is no explanation at all, right? Uh, Which feels very Hamner-esque. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, believe. Hamner. All right. Continue, please. So, yeah. So, so she's uh, telling her about how she's got to get uh, going soon. She just had to stop in and you know say what was up before she went to this uh, movie shoot in Rome. And, um, you know, she says that there's going to be a picnic that day. Uh, 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 her sister says that there's going to be a picnic. And that she should at least stay for that. And, uh, you know, she takes a few steps away, uh, Bunny this is, and she looks into the ring again. And she sees another face, and it apparently is the face of uh, Ben, uh, who is a, like, TV guy who we find out later. And he says that, you know, they need her help. And, you know, please help and all that. And then she, she faints. Terry, finish your beer. Terry, finish your... This is Paul. I brought extras. It's okay. It's okay. I just suddenly want beer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, you know, whatever. Anyway, 
<laughs> so yeah. So um, after she- I apologize to everybody. This bit's coming back one more time. You don't know when it's coming back one more time. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm on pins and needles, man. Um, so so after she had, uh, she faints, um, she wakes up later to uh, Doctor Floyd, who has come to check on her, and you know, like he, he says that you know, she needs to rest. She needs to like maybe stay in town and postpone her flight. Um, but she says, no, that's, that's not going to work out, but you guys can't have this picnic later. For some reason, she thinks that there is some kind of connection to this picnic. I don't know why that was an assumption. Right. Did, I also did you like, get that? I didn't pick up on that, but I like how, I like how important the founder's day picnic is to everybody involved where it's like, Oh, you know, that's the founder's day picnic. It's like, Oh shit. It is. It's like, but you understand it's the founder's day picnic. It's like, Okay. Like it's like, it is like, it is the biggest deal for this town ever. Right. Which again, it's a small town. It's 63. Fine. I get it. But like everybody treats it with like this grave seriousness. But I want to point out before, uh, before she faints, she mentions she's in town for a day. And this is like the only telling line of dialogue in the episode that I picked up on the second watch through. And you'll appreciate it when I say it, it is, uh, she says to Hildy, I'm stealing time as it is. I needed more of that. Yeah, that would have helped a little bit with uh, some of the uh, yeah. the creepiness to the episode and left more su- to the suggestion. I think that there's just like certain things here that are just loose ends that don't need to be loose ends. Like nope. why the why the picnic? Why is she assuming that the picnic is going to be a concern? At well, all? I mean, like, when I, we find out what's going on, it's like, but there's not enough. There's not enough there. Right. Right. So like, um, so, uh, yeah. And I, I, so whenever she looks at the ring again, and then you'd mentioned, I wrote my notes, that ring tone is terrible. It was a bad joke, but anyway, so, um, the, the Bing Russell's asking her to come home. Like all, all the people in the ring are like, you should come home. You're important or whatever. So she's talking to the doctor and I like that. She's like, Oh, I was just faking it. So you'd come over. I'm like, I want to be that doctor be like, you know, I may not know all the most current diagnosis, but I'm going to, I'm going to write out prescription and say that you're full of bullshit right now for faking to see me. Um, but yeah. And then, and then she starts asking the doctor to cancel the picnic as he's on the planning committee. Uh, and then her reasoning is I just want a normal day. And like, and like the doctor's like, I know you're a celebrity, a movie star, but it's like, why would the town bend to your will? That's the right question. That's a the perfect question, especially since she hasn't come back into town. Uh, you know, for five years and you can sense there's a little bit of like, um, I guess like frustration from the doctor too. you know, (laughs) finding out that it's, Hey, guess who's in town bunny just so he can, she can faint on the floor. And, you know, (laughs) he's like, listen, I've written this uh, prescription for cocaine. Just please just take it. And I know you're exhausted, whatever. Anyway. So, yeah. And so, um, and then as that's going on, she's like, I'm fine. Then all of a sudden, you know, her, her, her ring starts calling again with FaceTime. And this is when we see uh old man, uh, maintenance man, McGee, like talking shit to her, but also like asking for her help. I was really confused by this. Yeah. I didn't understand it. I, and here's, a, uh, I think a really important question. Why does she think that she can keep on looking back to the ring <laughs> or some kind of, answers because all it is is just more questions yeah like, i don't 
Like, is there a ringtone? Is it vibrate? Is it on vibrate all the time? <laughs> is it a vibrate? It's like, no, 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 no. This, the, hey, just let you know, this is not, this is not the bit yet. Not yet. But that's the ringtone. Like, I gotta answer it. You know. Anyway. So, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so maybe that. Like, maybe that is the thing. That, yeah. You got keep you guys on edge. <laughs> You don't know what's coming next. All right. Yeah. No, but it's like, she realizes that she's like, Oh, I need to, you know, whatever. Right. So, but, but then after she has that like kind of brief spell, I just want to point out in terms of the timing of the episode, right. She wigs out on the doctor runs up the stairs at 10 minutes, 47 seconds. And then Hilly's talking to the doctor about like, Oh, she needs this prescription. Every like, she's like stressed out or whatever. A uh, bunny runs back down at uh, 11 minutes, 33 seconds. So less than a minute later and was like, I'm fine. It's like, what happened up there in the span of 50 seconds? That's what I want to know. Maybe she did a line upstairs real quick and now, you know, she's good yeah. to go again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ring a ding, you know, anyway, so, <laughs> um, you know, bumping rails and ding and rings. So she comes back downstairs uh, and I like that there's also this weird moment. I don't like it. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase. There's this weird moment about, she's like, I just, you know, whenever I'm out in Hollywood and I get stressed, um, I just get naked and swim in a pool. I'm going to say this in front of my nephew. What, what, why, why is that happening? I, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just break that off as uh, inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says she swims like a ring-a-ding fish. So I wrote all the caps in my notes. What is a ring-a-ding fish? Uh, Whatever. For the context of what I've learned for, for Ring a Ding, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, right. Oh, we should also mention, like, so then at this point, Hildy's like, here, get some drugs. And she's like, I don't want drugs. It's like, let's get them. And then she's like, well, I'll take my nephew. And then they hear thunder, like, outside. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, Ring a Ding. And that's the commercial break. Yeah. So. And prior to them leaving, um, she also tells Bud that she wants to go up to the school to see Mr. Gentry. Yeah, the the janitor she saw in the ring. Yeah. But then she goes outside at the commercial break. So literally, she says ring-a-ding on the way out. And then re-watching this, there's no commercial, right? There's like a brief bit of music, whatever. And she comes out and says ring-a-ding at uh, Bud's whip there. Like his his little roadster, which is pretty cool looking. Like let's not be let's let's not skip over that. Um, but like she's just like, oh, are you a daredevil? Because I am. It's like, you know, you might be that cool aunt, but you're you're really crossing. Like you're getting into the gray there. I don't I don't like that. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> call me like, Bunny. The, don't call me Aunt Bunny. Also, we're just we're I'm your aunt by uh by marriage. Like you don't she doesn't say that. Like, but it's like it's almost like oh my gosh, just stop talking to Bud this way. Right. I, I, I'm glad that they didn't do the ring a dang thing much more. I think this might have been the last time that they say it. It's true. But man, it was getting annoying as hell. I'm like, dude, she's not a cartoon character. She doesn't need like a hook. You know? Yeah, fair enough. Well, especially when they didn't even attach it. It's like, like what if there was like, she was the spokesperson for like, you know, ring a ding rings or whatever. Like they'd have been like, okay, that's why you're going to throw, you're going to throw out your uh, tagline, right? Like, you know, like ring a ding or eat a Carl's jr. Or whatever she would say, you know, it's fine. Aren't ring dings like chicken fingers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, sure. Right. Or like, you know, <laughs> I'm fine with that. I would, I would support that. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, please go ahead. So we, we see bunny and she's meeting up with Mr. Gentry at the school now. And 
you know, he seems to be kind of a dick to her. Um, and again, like, I think this is rightfully so because she, for all intents and purposes, uh, it, I guess has turned her back on the town and, uh, you know, everybody seems to be a little frustrated by that. So, um, but she tries to shrug it off, whatever, like she's not biting at the, the bait. Um, and she's trying to be very, you know, nice and trying to get some kind of help from him. Uh, she asks if the school is going to be open later and that. And he says, well, it's always open. Um, well, yeah, but he kind of dresses her down before. She's like, I need to ask a favor. I need the auditorium doors open. And he just is like, oh, you could just, you just come back after all this. You just assume this is going to happen. And then she gets real quiet. He's like, ah, you know, I'm just screwing with you. The auditorium doors are open. It's like, why? We didn't need that like minute to a half of dialogue. If that's where we're going to go with that. Right. It's just, it's a quick thing. I, I'm, I, I don't know. Like, I think that there could have been other, like another way that this whole conversation could have played out that would have worked better for the episode. But yeah, either way. Um, so yeah, she finds out that, you know, the school will be open, whatever she needs to do later. And then she's about to head out. Uh, but she tells him right before she uh, walks out the door to not go to the picnic. Yeah. So two things there. One, I want to believe that she tells him not to go to the picnic because he's a janitor and she can't be around poor people. So she says, don't go to the picnic. I think that's, a, that's, I think that's why she says that I have no reason to believe that, but that's my gut tells me, but also she looks in the ring, right? And like, there's, we're getting other things happening now, right? About what's going on. Like, because the ring switches from the townspeople to something else, if I remember right, during all this, uh, or is that a little bit later? I think it happens think while the, she's talking to the janitor. I, I think sorry. it's a little bit, little bit later. Man. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So when she when she uh, walks out of the school uh, to get back to, uh, into uh, Bud's car, um, we hear thunder again, and uh, but uh, then like, she uh, says to Bud, like, you know. Uh, where's Ben at? You know, like what's Ben doing these days, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but well, actually, no, she, she knew that Ben was working at the studio prior to her even saying, yeah, just down the street, but like, Bud has drugs. And then she's like, nah, (laughs) I'm, I'm good. I don't need drugs right now. I'm going to walk to the TV station. Cause you know, cause, but we also, I think because, um, I want to say it, it, does that, does the pilot shit happen after when she gets back to the house? Yeah. I think it happens when she gets back to the house the ring thing with um, the other, the other messages, right? Cause right. she goes to the TV station and then we cut to Hildy being at home, getting these phone calls of like, I don't know my, my sister that is flighty as all get out and has been in Hollywood. I trusted her to take my son who seems interested in my sister to the drugstore. Oh wait, she went to the TV station. Let me turn on the TV. Like, like I can, I can understand Hildy being a little um, confused about what was going on. Well, and like she is supposed to have just gone to get the prescription, which I can't imagine that being a very long trip. <laughs> and like she's gallivanting around town doing all this other crap, and it's like, where is my son? Like, there's some questions that need to be asked here right now. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, Cause like, I mean, again, she hasn't seen her sister in five years. Who knows what she's mixed up in anymore. You know, being in Hollywood and that, I, I think that my head would start going to, to bad places and you know, like, where's my son? Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, yes, you're not wrong. So she turns on the TV. She's talking to Kurt Russell's dad about like, Hey, um, you know, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I like that she says, Hey, do you remember that one woman show I did in Las Vegas last winter? And he's like, We read about it. And I'm like, That's an oddly specific thing to bring up. It's like, Hey, remember that thing I did that's nowhere near here that was not televised? All right, whatever. Um, and she's like, I'm gonna do this again. I'm gonna do it in the auditorium of the high school. Everybody's welcome to show up at like three o'clock. And he's like, Well, there's a problem. It's like, What? It's like, There's the Founders Day picnic, which is like, the most important thing in the world in this town. And she's like, well, what would you rather do? Get stung by bees or show up and see me do a show that was in Vegas. So it's probably risque, but you know, her nephew's all about it. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's like, I guess she's just like hoping that at least people would just be like, She's cool. We may have not seen this in Vegas because, you know, it was in Vegas and it was a show, like you said, not televised on television. So, like, all right, well, let's assume it's going to be cool, I guess. So she she says that, all right, well, you know, skip skip the picnic and come see me. So already um, she's, like, she's putting people in a very awkward position, you know, like the whole town. Um yeah, I mean, I guess in a way that as much as like, and we'll get to our feelings about this episode, I I don't mind the idea that she's using her influence and her stardom to draw people away from a thing that she believes is a danger that she can't specify. I think that's an okay move. It's just that I don't think the episode really ever gives enough ground for her for the conflict or anything. Like once you get to the end of it, you're like, Oh, okay. I get what was going on. I just don't think the episode actually gives you enough information until you think about it at the end, which I'm not, that's not a compliment. Yeah. I, it, there's just different things I would have changed, but like if they would have done more of like a 12 monkeys type thing where, you know, Bruce Willis keeps on seeing these weird images in his mind, like being played back. Yeah. That might, that might've worked better, but I just like, again, why the picnic? Why the picnic? <laughs> why the picnic, know. Terry? All right. Terry, let's hold hands at the picnic. Let's hold hands at the picnic. Terry, please hold my hand at the picnic. Picnic. Okay. Well, apparently, I, <laughs> <laughs> there's a very specific hand I need to be holding at the picnic later. So, picnic. what are you doing later? <laughs> I mean, going to the picnic. I'm not going to go to that one woman show in the auditorium. Come on. Yeah, screw that. You know, um, the thunder be damned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we see uh, Buddy comes back to uh, Hildy's place, and uh, Hildy's pissed. Um, you know, it's like. She thinks this is a pretty big stunt that she's pulled uh, on TV and that, and making people choose her and using her, her her star power, like you said. And she, you know, she hears Bunny saying these things, but she hasn't heard a legitimate concern of why. And of course, you know, like by not hearing any evidence of what may happen, she's like, "Well, Bud and I are still going to go to the picnic." Like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but. You're being you're being foolish right now, essentially. Uh, and yeah, she, Bunny looks into the ring again, and that's when we see uh, a plane. That's I think that's what you were talking. Yeah, the about plane, earlier. the pilot being like, "Oh, there's some. We're gonna run some rough weather." And then we keep cutting back to CC and Bunny being on the plane talking about this turbulence. 
and Buddy not being worried about it. So we're now getting some new information that is odd and we'll, we'll explain the ending, but it's introduced in a very clunky way that's not brought in before. Right. Um, so, uh, before, uh, she is about to head out, um, uh, there's a storm that starts and, uh, buddy, uh, buddy looks into the ring again and the, the captain of the plane is talking about the storm and, and then she sees, uh, Cece who asks if she's scared. And the, the, the specific thing that bunny says is the, um, uh, nat like natch, which I assume is mean naturally. And says, "Isn't every uh, isn't everyone?" <laughs> doesn't doesn't um, uh, Jay from Clerks say "Natch" at some point in one of like in the Clerks movies? I think he says that. So maybe he picked it up from Bunny. I know he just says "Nuge." So <laughs> "Natch," and, but one of them been like, "Bunny's like Nuge." Everybody's afraid. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. So she uh, Bunny gives a hug to Hildy and says, "Thanks." You know thanks for being a sister or whatever. It's of course it's, it's kind of unusual for, um, for Hildy. And, um, then all of a sudden the phone rings and she, uh, Hildy goes to pick up the phone and you hear bunny say, you know, goodbye. And she walks outside in a pouring rain and just, it's, I love this, the shot. I think it's a it's really a nice cool shot. shot. It's a nice shot. Yeah. Yeah. She just walks out. And she's the rain is falling on her, and she just closes her eyes, and she disappears. Yeah, um, it's not an earned moment, but it's a nice shot. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's very cinematic looking. I, I think yeah. it was a a, 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 a well uh, planned shot. But uh, yeah, so back inside, uh, Hildy is on the phone, and it's uh, it's Jim, the the trooper. He says, "Oh, you know, like there's basically he's describing this carnage, whatever, and like." Hildy's like, what, what, what am I missing? What's, what's going on here? She's like, there was a plane crash. There was a plane crash and your sister was on it. And the plane crashed right into the, the park that the picnic was supposed to be happening. And she, of course is like, Nick, yeah, you, you gotta be kidding me. Like my sister is here. She's in the house, dude. Like you don't know what you're talking about. She, and of course, Jim, it's like, I'm like, I just saw her body. It was her, and there was a lady sitting next to her. She's dead. Like, we got her here, and it's terrible. So, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I very, very off-putting, of course, to the sister who just saw her. And <laughs> <laughs> she, she right? said, so she slams the phone down and, of course, like, goes on the hunt for Bunny around the house, um, is about to go outside, and all of a sudden you hear um, – uh, Bud turn on the radio and it's talking about the plane crash. And it, of course it's going through the, the same information that uh, Jim had just told her on the phone that like, you know, this plane crashed uh, and it was going to, it was going to like another layover flight or whatever. And bunny was on it and she's dead. Yeah. But the, the, the radio announcer is also like, but also in town, people were supposed to show up the auditorium where uh, Bunny was giving a one-woman performance that may or may not have been risque. He didn't say that, uh, but it's like there's a whole thing. It's like there's some confusion, but we do now know that Bunny is dead. It's like um, so I I will 
This this is a very backhanded compliment. This episode, I like they at least acknowledge that like the town saw her, you know, or like people saw her before this happened. So at least there's that like, oh, did it happen? Did it not happen? I'm okay with that. Um, I don't think it really laid the groundwork to be good in that sense, but at least at least that Hamner Hamner like left um, left that out there that you have to acknowledge it. That's fine. Um, I um, I don't understand how fast the plane crashed and then how fast they identified Bunny and Cece. Like, that seems pretty whip smart, like whip fast, right? Like, just like, whew, plane crashed. Oh, that's your sister. I'm going to call you on the payphone. I was just going to say that. Like, there is just, I don't know, that, that that's the part that, like, kind of would have worked a little bit better maybe in the hour long format, um, kind of like draw the, this sequence out a little bit more. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. Like, I feel like there could have been, you know, a, I mean, not that we're re- rewriting this episode because I don't want to give Hamner any more credit than, you know, whatever that cat was a witch. Um, if it would have been like, what if it would have been like mid, like one woman performance at the auditorium when the plane crashed and then she disappears there after knowing that she got people away from the picnic that would have that been much more rewarding to me. Yeah, that would have been badass. I think that there's like, I don't know, it's been a bigger payoff, really. Yeah. Um, so when Hilly picks up the ring, the ring's broken. Like somehow it's lost its power at the end. Um, I don't know. It's just like you see, you see the threads, you see the barest of skeletons in this, and you can see what they were going for. I just don't know if there's enough the you said connective tissue. I'm going to grab that under the skeleton. That's very, um, you know, um, it doesn't have bone density, so it breaks easy. Um, you can see what they're going for. So I can kind of appreciate what they're trying to like. This is very much a campfire tale, like a ghost story around a campfire. Um, but even if I was at the campfire, I'd raise my, I'd raise my hand and be like, I have questions, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, this could have been something, but it's nothing. It's just frustrating. And, you know, this is a very iconic episode for a lot of people. I've heard a, a, a lot of people praise this episode. I mean, again, you know, like there is a lot to take away from this episode. And I think there's, there are certain aspects of it that are really cool. But all in all, the execution, I think, was lacking a little bit on this one. So, yeah, I feel like I feel like Hamner didn't have it. Um, here, I feel like he had an idea and I think that he gets obsessed with like the more mystical that you can kind of hand wave it away and that's supposed to be forgiven. And it can be if you set the parameters up, right. You know, like, I don't know about you, but it's like when it comes to my horror, when it comes to my superstition, I understand that like, if you, if you put everything in a box with like tight rules, then you can't have folklore or superstition work properly there but give me some guide rails. Give me, give me something. And this never, never found itself to where I actually was on board for it. I, I, I get what you're saying. There was a lot of parts where I was just like, all right, well, yeah, I'm definitely going to hand wave this and just be like, where are we going to go with it? But seeing the outcome, I was like, all right, you know, it's like you said, it's a campfire tale. Um, and it, it, it had some creepy elements to it and that, but it just all in all didn't work entirely for me. Well, okay. I'm going to bring in an example. Uh, have you seen the changeling, uh, the George C. Scott ghost film? 
I want, I, I still have to finish it. I got through half of the movie. Okay. Uh, just that's, I think it's one of my favorite ghost films because it actually gives you rules and it actually kind of follows rules and you're like, Oh, okay. I can see what's going on here. And it actually kind of makes sense. It's like, it's still a little ethereal and like what could be, but when you realize kind of what the game is, you're like, Oh, okay. I can get on board with this. Like I'm not, I'm not like, that's unfair for me to take a more sophisticated film script that has like an hour and a half plus to breathe. But I feel like we've gotten enough from Hamner that, um, he should know better to give us more because as much as Jess bell is like ridiculous at times and there's not a lot of explanation there, but it's like, come on, man. Like you, you have 25 minutes. You, you got to give us some sticking points here. And I feel like he was just, he would just do a shrug and be like, yeah, things ring a ring a thing things i don't know like it was i'm frustrated where there's a line there's a line for me i don't know about for you where it's like i I think there's times where you can have stories where if you don't give me everything it's more satisfying and there's times where if you give me too much it kind of like stomps all everything another example i'll give you um have you seen session nine Again, I have not. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a, it's a great psychological horror film that it walks the line of like, is this happening? Is it not? And again, it's a film. It's later. But it gives you enough like things to chew on that you're like, oh, man, this could either be do- this or this. And I think it does a good a good job of like, like kind of like giving you enough that you can figure out on your own. Um and there, there's other Twilight Zone episodes that give you enough to think about, like, um, oh, there's an early season one episode called The Last Flight, where a guy shows up um, now and like, was it like 62, who was a uh, English pilot um, in World War One or two that just shows up because he, he was a coward and flew through a cloud, ends up now and realizes that like his actions, his, his lack of um, bravery messed up things. So he needs to go back and fix it. And it's like, Oh, how the time trap will happen. I don't know, but it gives you enough, you know, like, I don't know. This doesn't give us enough. This doesn't give us enough to put our fingers like underneath and lift up to appreciate. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that, um, it's not polished enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. It's going to go into the, the pile of episodes that could have been better, but for me, I I wouldn't say it's a piece of shit or anything like that. It just it was it failed to miss the mark. Can... Yeah, well, I'm going to say it's a piece of shit. So we're going to go we're going to go on that. <laughs> so all right. So all right. So are you? Do you have any other notes? Because I have. I actually I have one other note from the episode proper. Do you have anything else before I get into trivia? No, go ahead. I liked it at one point when Buddy like before right before she disappears, she was like talking about like talking about like how. Um, her and her sister would like, like trade notes or whatever. And there was the line of like, remember being kids fun, wasn't it? I'm like, yeah, that doesn't feel like a weird thing to say to your sibling. Hey, remember when you were younger? That was pretty good. <laughs> that feels weird to me. There's a lot of awkward dialogue in this. Um, but okay. So in terms of trivia, um, you will appreciate, uh, that this living room that we saw the set was the same ones in 90 years without slumbering. And living doll, does that not feel appropriate? 
Yeah, I guess it does. I'm I'm glad they were able to uh, clean up Telly Savalas' blood. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that foyer wouldn't have looked as nice as it did. Then I believe that we talked about this previously, but the headline on the paper that Bud was reading said, Jockey banned from all U.S. tracks. This was the same paper that uh, was used in the last night of a jockey. So that's kind of a fun connective tissue there. So that's fun. Um, all right. So David Macklin, a.k.a. Bud. I have, it's a little bit long, so please bear with me. This is from The Twilight Zone Companion by Martin Grams Jr. So here, are you ready for uh, some um, some frustration on the set? Are you ready for this? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid most of my comments on working in that episode are a bit negative, recalled David Macklin. First of all, I didn't care for the script or my character. Me too. I was getting much bigger parts, but it was slow and I went for the money. I, okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> my, uh, fine. Take the paycheck, right? I don't blame him. Yeah. I'm sure the car got the paycheck too. It's fine. All right. My first experience was, uh, was makeup where some old hack gave me the worst makeup I've ever experienced. It seemed that he didn't think I was important enough to give the kind of makeup he did on Maggie and Mary. Maybe he didn't have time after doing them and thought he would catch up on the kid. Anyway, he simply uh, smeared pancake all over my face, including my mouth, eyelashes, and eyebrows. I had the same. I had the sense to remove the makeup from those areas, but I still looked lousy. It was the show that taught me to bring my own makeup kit to the set. That's not the only quote from him about this. <clears throat> Continuing. Then I went to wardrobe and they dressed me in the worst shirt ever seen on television. <laughs> I respect that. That show also taught me to be more discriminating about wardrobe. Mr. Gosland, which is how you called him as opposed to Crossland Jr., uh, was rather aloof and gave no help or encouragement. Wink, wink. In fact, I think his coverage of the final scene stinks. I didn't get a reaction shot and should have. On the positive side, Maggie and Mary were delights to work with, and I loved that car. Poor Maggie. Uh, she had to wear that one dress through the whole show and they never cleaned it. Um, it was getting a little ripe near the end. I had no idea at the time I was working on a classic TV show and a lot of people would like that segment. I certainly had no idea it'd be run rerun so much. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the most uh, rerun uh, TV show ever. And I receive no residuals. Bah. His quote, not mine. Ironically, I didn't know at the time I would get more mail from this program than any other. <laughs> Goddamn, bud. Wow, he really, he had some <laughs> shit to say. <laughs> yeah, he has some opinions. So I just feel bad for uh, Magni McNamara having to wear that dress. I guess, it, like, I don't know how, like, these shoots were like a week long. I don't know how ripe that shirt got, but evidently it did where it must've got up and walked on its own and then faded into the rain, you know, by itself. Um, but yeah, there you go. So there we go. Uh, that's, that's trivia. That's our notes about a uh, rig ding girl. Um, yeah. Are we ready for the twist? Let's just get to that twist. The twist that she would die on the plane flight over her hometown. And then that, that also gave her the opportunity to like be there to like, I don't know, man, is there a number for this? Could I just put like a symbol? Could I put like a, I don't know, 
like a schwa or a tilde. I don't know. I don't know how to rate this. This is a weird twist. Um, it was it was a weird twist, but I I think I'm going to lean towards a three because I didn't really expect that to be the outcome of the episode. So I mean, I I, I again, not really saying that I liked it, but I, th- I thought it was an interesting twist, and I couldn't really see that one coming. That's fair. I'll give it a two point tilde. I don't know what that means, but and uh, so. Um, yeah, I didn't see it coming because it wasn't laid out right. That's my, that's, that doesn't make a good twist, but you're right. I did not see it coming. So, all right. Also, what is a ring-a-ding fish? That, that's the bigger question. So yeah, that's going to do it for our discussion about a uh, ring-a-ding girl. Um, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook, uh, strange highways. Uh, you guys, wherever you get your, um, your podcasts, uh, please rate and review us. Uh, you can email us directly at uh, strange highways podcast, um, dot com. Um, yeah. And Terry, where else were we at? All right. So we are on Instagram these days. So if you're not really on all the kinds of social media and at least follow us on there, we post some fun pictures. Uh, we are strange highways podcast on Instagram and we are on Facebook. So check us out on Facebook. Uh, and you know, for people that maybe had some, uh, troubles listening to the podcast in different areas and that, like, you can always check us out, um, you know, on uh, Spotify. We're on there. Uh, we're on Podbean. Uh, Podbean. I know you can go there and you can rate. You can rate our podcast. You can. You can tell the masses. You can tell them how much you love us. Uh, well, no, you brought word, to me, like, You brought up to me last week that if people listen via the face, the Facebook link that I post that if they close out of it, it will shut down because that's a lot of different things. Like YouTube does that too, unless you pay for premium. If there is a preferred uh, podcast app that you get your podcast from, please um, rate and review us and let other people know, because we always enjoy the conversation. I, I I, like I'm over the moon with a conversation with Terry about these things. Even if I don't like them, I know we're always going to have a good conversation and I hope you guys enjoy our conversation because we try to include you as well. Um, Yeah, please. Wherever you find us, rate and review us. Yeah, and uh, you know, to all the new listeners out there, welcome. I hope you've had a, a lot of fun listening to us. Uh, we do this as a passion. Like, we are not making any money off of this. This is truly about us having a good time, having conversations I mean, about the things that we love. I have a lot honestly, of gambling debts that I don't want to talk about, but yeah. Anyway, so no. All right, so uh, next episode. Terry, did you think that we're uh, did you think we're out of the Hamner Woods? You're you're wrong about that. Um, this, we're getting into some more Hamner. That's what we're getting into. So the next episode is called "You Drive." Um, spoiler: I've seen this episode before. And I'll talk about why, but let uh, let Serling uh, tease it. And now, Mister Serling on Twilight Zone. Next time, again, the services of Earl Hamner Jr. and a strange story, a strange conclusion, and a very unusual brand of justice. Dramatizing a show called You Drive. It's a story of a hit and run driver and a very special kind of an automobile. A consequently fine actor named Edward Andrews lives out a nightmare partly of his own making. On Twilight Zone, You Drive. I hope you're going to watch it with us. Yeah, some more Hamner, and it deals with the car. So maybe. And it's I hope you guys watch it with us too. Yeah, right. You watch. You drive. All right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, have a good week. Have a safe week. And I don't know. Like, just question your jewelry. I think that's appropriate because I, I just, you know, like that was a big ass ring. And if it's showing you faces, just just question where it came from. That's all I got. And, and make sure you bring your own makeup kit to the set.
I know you don't like me. 